0: Hi, thanks for listening. This is the It's So Widgets Flutter podcast. My name is Hillel Korn. Each episode I get a chance to talk with another amazing member of the Flutter community. Uh, this episode, I'd very lucky like to have one of our favorite guests, Chris, back on the podcast. Uh, thanks for coming back on.
1: Oh, of course. Happy to.
0: Just in case people haven't heard your previous podcast, do you want to quickly share a bit about yourself and your role in team?
1: Sure. So my name is Chris Sells. And um, as it says on my on my Twitter description, um, I enjoy long walks on the beach and various technologies. Uh, I. Currently, um, the uh, product manager at Google for the developer uh, end-to-end experience for Flutter. Excellent.
0: I mean, just to start, I think it'd be great to discuss some of the, the items you announced. Uh, maybe go into some some points into a bit more detail.
1: Sure. I mean, um, so we we announced, uh, of course, first and foremost, the the stable release of Flutter 1.12. and that represents you know a, a lot of work it's our biggest release yet and in fact the blog post on uh, talking about you know what's in that release and you know the things that are going in and around that release as related was i think 19 pages before i, I stuck it up on medium i mean it's huge it's a it's a huge release for, for us uh, and a huge number uh, the biggest number of per requests and issues closed that we've ever done i mean every one of these releases gets bigger and bigger um one of the big uh, bits in this release is our uh, continued uh, iOS 13 support. We have a huge increase in the quality of uh, dark mode and it's not just dark mode which is hey making you know everything you know of dark background right but we also do uh, adaptive colors um, uh, on the foreground colors as well. So when you switch between dark mode and light mode with the same color palette, it actually is subtly different because of the way we adapt um, those colors. And, and we also continue to push on new um, uh, widgets for iOS. Uh, and I, I'll refer you to the to the blog post there for the details, but, you know, iOS was a, was a huge big deal. Another big deal was we have a um, a much improved, much more robust uh, add-to-app story, which is the ability to take, um, Flutter content and put it into your existing Android and your existing uh, iOS apps. We get uh, lots of customers, you know, with existing apps that want to want to use Flutter, and they can do it in a cross-platform way. Right, they can implement that feature at one time and then and then you know integrate it into their existing um, into their existing apps. Um, and so that got a huge boost. Um, it's now part of our official offering. It's on our flutter.dev uh, main docs site. It's uh, it's a it's a big boost. Uh, so that's a big deal. We also um, on the Android side have um, much improved support for um, Android X. Um, all of our first party plugins now support Android X. If you're doing Android, we still support plugins that haven't yet moved uh, to Android X. Sometimes there are conflicts when there are compiles. Um, and so we actually put in another uh, path, a code path, that if you compile um, and you're having, it's, it's uh, failing in, in certain ways, we'll actually go through and use a tool uh, from the Android team called Jetifier and um, m- kind of migrate your, your um, dependencies in place and run the compile again. Of course, this is slower, right? So you'll, you'll want to do that, you know, upgrade yourself. Um, to decrease your build times. But this solves like 90 plus percent of the problems we have with builds. All of those things are part of um, 112. And I'm sure I'm missing other things. And then right around there, of course, if you're on the master dev or uh, beta channel, is the beta release of web support uh, for Flutter. And so that got a big boost, including a number of plugins that have been ported uh, to the web. And in fact, in general, um, uh, increased support for multi-platform plugins, kind of historically, we just assumed that all plugins would be Android and iOS, um, because that's what what plugins were were built for. Um, And we updated the PubSpec format to be able to say, oh, this plugin supports Android, and here are some details, and it supports iOS, and here are some details. It supports web or Mac or Windows, right? We made it very explicit. Uh, and very clear and then we also introduced this idea of federation so that um, a plugin can actually be um, implemented across multiple platforms in different actual packages so for example um, uh, the url launcher you know android and ios is implemented in one package and web is implemented in another package and mac is implemented in another package and that's how we do it. That allows us to spread the implementation across uh, multiple teams, um, but it, it can also enable um, the community as a whole, right? As, as we move forward, you know, one, one team could be responsible for, for plugin A's mobile, one for desktop, one for web, or however you want to do it. And it could be multiple packages for multiple repos with multiple um, test harnesses. However you, you want to arrange that, we enable um, with federation, of course, you don't have to use that. You can do it all in a single package. That still works just fine too. Uh, but the combination is really about enabling, you know, the the whole ecosystem to move to supporting uh, multiple platforms in the same way that uh, Flutter is. And then uh, another big uh, announcement that came out of this as well is uh, just on you know the kind of framework side is um, uh, the macOS support. Has moved to Alpha, and actually Windows is pretty close behind. Um, I hope to have some good news about Windows. It's still in Tech Preview along with uh, Linux, um, but um, they're both uh, moving along nicely. And the nice thing about the uh, the Alpha support for Mac is you we actually do release builds. So you know uh, uh, the way Tim said in the keynote is an enterprising, uh, I'm sorry, an adventurous developer. That's the word he used. Uh, could actually take the Mac's, mac os support and actually build and distribute a mac os uh, app um, external to their own personal development machine and that's just on the kind of you know framework and engine side we also showed off a bunch of new tools including hot ui and the layout explorer and um, multi-device debugging um, you know it was just it was just a huge huge release for us
0: agreed it was amazing so many new cool and exciting features it's really, really impressive. You know, I was recently, I was watching the, the Kotlin conference uh, and the presenter kind of commented on how difficult it is to plan these events that they don't even try to have a release at the same time as the event. And it's all that more impressive that you guys are able to kind of both schedule this amazing event and have the software ready for this incredibly feature-packed release.
1: Well, I'm glad it looks like, um, you know, we're able to pull it off well. It turns out to be enormously difficult. Whoever was saying that about Kotlin was totally right. Because you have to, you have to pick a venue once in advance. You have to, you know, decide the kinds of things that you want to talk about. You have to line up all kinds of partners and customers um, that can help tell that story. You have to line up technologies to show off. You have to line up the engineers and the engineering work to put all release together that shows off those same kind of ideas. Um, you know, this is really very much one of those you don't want to see how the sausage is made, kind of deals. It is a big, a a lot of work.
0: I can only imagine. So let's go through some of these features in more detail. I know I'm sure I have specific questions on on many of them. Uh, The hot UI feature to me looked really, really interesting. So I'd love to get a better understanding of how that works. Is it built into the IDE? Is it IDE agnostic? And then how does it actually function?
1: Sure. So the idea of hot UI is it's, it's meant as a, a, another way to to edit your code. Right now you use your keyboard and your mouse and your text editor, right? And that's how you edit your widgets. And you can see them in real life um, on your running app and that's what Hot Reload is for. But the idea of um, Hot UI is that it puts a representation of your widget right there in your IDE. And currently it's only supported in a preview uh, for Android Studio and IntelliJ um, because Visual Studio Code doesn't provide the facilities you need to really do this. So in the future, and, and we mentioned this in the keynote, we plan on having hot UI in a different on a different surface. And in fact, specifically, we plan on integrating it into uh, Dart DevTools um, as another one of the tabs so that you can use it no matter what editor you happen to be using. But it made sense to kind of show the vision to do it inside of the IntelliJ family of editors to start. And what it does is, it uses the Dart uh, analysis services to really understand your code, and then it provides kind of a WYSIWYG wig, you know, designer experience uh, over that. Code. Um, but the code is the source of truth. So, in, in fact, if you look closely in the keynote, you can see this. I was making changes to the code, uh, and I picked color because it's easiest to see. And that same color, you know, in the in the representation of the widget inside the IDE in the hot UI part, it was that it was changing um, that same color as I did it. And then I could go and do a little drop down and and use the color picker and change the color of the widget, you know, in the hot UI part and it would update the code, right? So it's really using the analysis services to understand and edit that code uh, directly.
0: Amazing. It looks like it's going to be an incredibly useful feature. And I'll tell you another interesting change you mentioned is with Android X. I, mean, I myself have ran into Android X errors countless number of times. Uh, I think we finally upgraded our project. We made sure all our libraries are updated. We're kind of past it. I'm sure many other developers are still seeing those errors. So it's nice to hear that even if you have you know older library versions, compile will still succeed. Is that right?
1: I say with about ninety five percent, ninety plus percent success. That's really impressive. And then
0: another feature I noticed in the Dart 2.7 release is that it has preview support for non-nullable by default. Is that right?
1: Uh, That's correct. Yes. So
0: how could I use that? I I noticed they mentioned that it's enabled in DartPad, which is also another great feature, right? That now in DartPad, you can use Flutter directly.
1: I can't believe uh, in the initial list, I forgot DartPad. Holy cow, DartPad, this venerable tool that I have been using, I use myself all the time when I write Dart code as a way to, kind of as a scratch pad and how Dart works, now has Flutter support using Flutter for web. So you know you can write flutter code and and it runs and you can interact it's real life code i can't believe i forgot to mention that it's huge it's awesome and there's no setup you can just go to dart dartpad.dev and and be writing and testing flutter code with a, understand uh, with installing nothing it's an amazing feature
0: Agreed. And I think it's going to be great for just sharing Flutter, the concept, right? People don't yes. want to spend that time setting up a dev environment. They can now just very quickly try it out. And it sounds like, so non noble by default is enabled there. Can I enable it in my projects now? Is that supported?
1: So it is just a preview. I would not use it on any of your production products, but the idea is absolutely for you to try it out um, and you know give, give us some feedback and to see what it's going to be like. I mean, we have a whole... Uh, uh, a rollout plan you know including migration tools and you know the ability to be able to um, keep you know modules that have been upgraded to this new uh, null safety uh, version of the language and you know leave the old stuff and it would intermix with and keep the right semantics and we're, we have a, 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 you know a, a great low impact uh, rollout planned but ultimately of course we want everyone to to move to this new null safe version because it instead of assuming all of your types are nullable it assumes they're not unless you split. Know right so it's just the you know, the it's just a safer way to write to write code
0: to follow up on non null by default i don't know if you noticed on reddit there was a suggestion recently to add these linting rules in advance of non null by default so the specific rules were implicit cast and implicit dynamic maybe a bit too deep. I'm wondering if you're familiar with these rules. And and my thought was that I know there's talk went, when the feature rolls out, the big automated tools, should we expect it would handle these kinds of changes?
1: Yeah, we, we do have migration tools planned that, that, I mean, you know, one level of migration tool would be relatively easy to just go through and, you know, add question marks to all your types, but that's not very useful, right? So it's the equivalent, but it's not very useful because then you have and actually, as a human, take all of those question marks out. So we have a better migration tools plan that will actually examine your code and say, "Oh, this this variable never goes null, so there's no reason to make it nullable." Um, and um, you know, the the idea is actually you use our semantic understanding of the code to kind of port it in a in a, the same way you would if you were if you were forced to do it. And so the idea is to get the the code out that you would want. Without having to make you, you know, spend the time to actually port the
0: code. Cool. That sounds that sounds really really useful.
1: And the lint rules now, it's hard to imagine how the lint rules would be useful if we did, because there's no syntax in the current version of the language, the shipping, you know, stable version of the language, that allows you to say oh, this is nullable or or not nullable. Um, so it'd be hard to imagine lint rules except on every of your types, which is warning this is nullable and I'm not sure that's
0: useful. right. I think by default, Flutter still comes with a very loose linting. Whereas the Flutter project has much stricter analysis options file. I think it'd be really helpful to have just kind of stricter rules out of the box, just to help guide best practices with Dart. Just when you're getting started, kind of reinforces these rules early on.
1: So I, I'm with you, right? I, I prefer my own more strict linting rules. And I'm, I'm one of those people. If I see a lint rule, I have to fix it. I consider it. You know, it's really just a warning, but I consider it an error and I go and fix it. However, the, if you think about a brand new Flutter developer, do we really want to mess up their experience by, you know, we know what they mean. So, you know, let's just help them along to really get up to speed on Flutter before we, you know, force them to do all of these very picky kinds of things. It's a, Right. I mean, your point about you know putting people on the right path from the beginning, of course, is a good one. You know, but on the other hand, we want a easy on ramp to really you know enjoy Flutter. It's a, it's an art, and maybe we haven't gotten it quite right yet. Like
0: many problems, it comes out to trade offs. Right? There's no yeah. one right answer, and you have to balance uh, the needs of many. Yeah. No, you're right. So, in general, one thing I loved about the event was the focus on not just mobile, but mobile, web, and desktop. Uh, I think if you've been using Flutter a long time, I mean, early on, the messaging was very clear, we're a mobile framework, and maybe we're the UI for every screen. Uh, whereas now the messaging has changed, and it's crystal clear that, no, this is the UI toolkit for, for all three platforms, uh, which is incredibly exciting. Uh, from a desktop, Mac is kind of in the lead, and Windows is following close behind. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the right way to think about it. Yep.
0: Cool. I mean, what's great about using a tool like Flutter is that so much of this is hidden from the typical developer. Right from my perspective, I write my widgets, and I know you guys are hard at work making sure they perform as well as possible. But kind of, you know, for free, just I get the latest and greatest performance. Uh, it is very nice, <laughs> nice feature of Flutter. Uh,
1: I was going to say another thing that we uh, launched um, at the event um, was something we call uh, the Flutter Favorite Program. We could talk a little bit about that if you wanted.
0: Sure, that'd be great.
1: Well, actually, um, so uh, in. Looking at the landing page for uh, the Flutter Favorite program, I, I noticed that you're on the committee. Would you like to talk about Flutter Favorites? Sure.
0: I'd be happy to, to share my experience. Chris, you were very kind to, to include me in this project. And if I could, I'll try to explain the idea and you can correct me where I'm wrong. But I think part of the part of the challenge, especially for new developers to Flutter, is knowing which packages you can trust. I think this inherent desire to want to use only uh, Flutter team p- packages. And there's this belief that they'll be maintained and they'll kind of work correctly. Uh, and the idea behind Flutter Favorites is to expand that and create a large group of packages that we collectively all trust and believe in. And it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge because it can be subjective Where how do you define uh, the quality of a package. And I'll say from my firsthand experience, Chris put a tremendous amount of time uh, into making this as rigorous as possible. And it kind of checked across many dimensions how good these packages are, including things like responsiveness by the developer, the code itself being checked and ensuring code quality, making sure that it has a verified publisher on pub.dev, and many other checks. This is, I think, the initial batch of packages, and hopefully over time we'll add more. What do you think? Did I did I miss out on anything?
1: No, I think I think you did a good job. And I, just to, to to dive in, um, I mean the 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 actual packages themselves are um, picked by um, a group of people called the Flutter Ecosystem uh, Committee. And Hillel is one of the founding members of that. And we've split it um, across both um, uh, Google employees and non-Google employees. In fact, uh, there's nine members of that committee, and only three of them are Google employees. The rest are all you know members of, uh, at large, um, contributing members uh, of the Flutter community. Um, and of course, Hillel is one of those. Um, but there's, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a who's who uh, list of Flutter community me- uh, community members on the on the committee, um, spread across the whole world. And in fact, when we when we have these community meetings, uh, we have nine people joining the meeting across eight different time zones. Right. So we, it's quite a challenge to come up with um, a time that works for all of us. It, it turns out to be 7 a.m. In uh, Pacific Time, and it's 10 p.m. Um, uh, in China, right? So we we you know we spread the pain across the whole world whenever we get get on the phone. Um, and you're totally right in terms of the goals of the program, which is hey, uh, we get a lot of people asking, hey, which are the good, the really really good, you know, which ones should I consider first from a uh, pub.dev for packages and plugins. And then we get a lot of requests saying, hey, when is the Google team uh, on, the, on Flutter going to pick up you know, this plugin or that plugin? And, and the reality is you know, the, there's only so much the Google engineers can do, only so far we can scale. And the idea of, of the Flutter favorite program is to take the idea of an official plugin because it's supported by the Google employees and, and throw that idea away. Right? Flutter... Flutter is a whole community of people some of which happen to work at Google but many of whom do not and they're spread across multiple companies and all over the world and really all of us are building flutter together and there is no sense of you know the official ones are from Google really the the flutter favorite program is all about these are the best some of them come from Google some of them don't come from Google but these are the ones um, that we think uh you, you know uh, work will, we, you should consider you know first now of course this is not any kind of a guarantee you should you should check each one of these things you use to make sure it meets your own criteria um, but these are the ones that that we think you should consider consider first and in in some sense these are what we think of from the flutter ecosystem as official right these are the ones that that really meet that that quality bar that, that you mentioned, hello And, by the way, we plan on continuing to increase that quality bar, right, over time, you know, taking into consideration, um, you know, uh, integration test coverage. We do unit test coverage today, but not integration testing, uh, not GUI testing, um, taking into considering things like, you know, does it support Android X? Has it moved to Android X? Um, and then platform support over time. You know, does it support desktop? Does it support the web? Um, So those are all things we're doing in the future, as well as always taking a look at um, new plugins, new packages that uh, maybe meet that quality bar. And we did kind of the low hanging fruit that initial 2025 of them were kind of obviously really great. Um, uh, And we've gotten a bunch of uh, nominations. A bunch of people have sent emails uh, to me after the fact saying, hey, you should really think about, you know, this package or this plugin um, as something uh, for our future, you know, marking as a Flutter favorite. And then the other thing we want to do is we uh, at Google have done a bunch of usability studies um, at, uh, with our user experience team in terms of the packages and plugins that that community, people in the community, developers, Flutter developers have said, oh, this isn't as good as I would like it to be, right? There, there are a number of, you know, uh, packages and plugins that do technology X, whatever it is, but none of them are as good as I want them to be um, because of, you know, A, B, or C. And so actually taking that information and then reaching out to the community um, for, for packages and plugins and um, that, you know, have a good start and helping them to get to the place where, we can really market as a Flutter favorite, and then fill the gaps from the community based on on user demand. And again, not necessarily it being uh, Google uh, led or Google uh, developers that are actually doing the development. In fact, you know the only way we scale as a community is if we have have this high bar across the community that we all reach for together. Um, uh, so you know th- those are kind of that's kind of the the. The hoped for future of the Flutter favorite program.
0: Awesome. That's a great explanation. Uh, I'll tell you one example of kind of the best code being elevated is the provider and provide packages where both a community member and uh, Remy and Google themselves were working on very, very similar packages. And Google, I think realized that the Remy solution was simply a better implementation and then chose that as the default kind of deprecated their own package. And yeah, it's just one example, I'm sure, of many where Google are realizing that, yeah, Flutter is built by, by the community and, and it's the best solutions that should win, not necessarily Google solutions.
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. And in fact, I mean, you were there in the community meetings and the communications and the email and et cetera. Did we ever say, you know, a Google-provided uh, package or plugin got special treatment or, you know, did anything different or were they held to the same standard?
0: Right. No, absolutely not. If not, the hell to higher standard, right? I think there's this, you know, desire to make sure that it's as good as what the community are creating. Uh, I think in part, we're spoiled that this is the first selection uh, where these packages have been developed for, in some cases, you know, many, many years. So you're seeing just incredibly well-built packages. I mean, some, to me, personally, I feel should be part of Flutter, but these are these are great. Uh, one in particular I have to mention is a slidable package. I, ju- I just, you know, again, I couldn't see our app without that package uh, and I, guess I think many developers were p- are probably using it. And the code is just beautifully written. The developers took tremendous care to implement it. Uh, and it shows. I think it shows both in the code and in the, in the documentation. So it's really nice to have this kind of showcase for developers and their packages.
1: Uh, totally. I think you're you're absolutely right. I
0: feel like there was just so much to Interact. Again, I f- feel really lucky I got the opportunity to be there in person. It was a really inspiring event. Uh, in particular, just meeting so many incredible members of the community. I think the Flutter community is is incredibly, incredibly special. I think in part, it's just because it's people that have realized early on that this is the future. (laughs) So I think there's an inherent bias towards really, really talented and smart programmers who understand where things are headed. Uh, But also, I think there's a tendency of just being really kind people in the community. Uh, I can be very, very shy, and I always get nervous (laughs) going to these big events. Uh, But I find people are just so friendly that even with someone like me, I feel very comfortable at the events. And yeah, again, I feel I feel incredibly lucky to be there. I feel like I'm witnessing history. I'm going to see you know each year these incredible milestones and developments of the, the platform.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I have been involved with, in a lot of uh, developer communities over uh, an embarrassingly long career, and uh, the Flutter developers are universally bright and open and talented and friendly and happy. And it is a joy uh, to be a member.
0: So, are there any other
1: topics like to cover we haven't discussed yet? Well, sure. So, actually, one of the things that um, I wanted to bring up is that layout explorer, um, which was um, a, a kind of a late feature for us. We we knew that this was a problem. The, this idea of kind of having a visual representation of your layout as a way to understand, you know, all, right now, you know the the uh, the tr- the widget hierarchy. Right in in dev tools is uh, you know it provides all the information you need to be able to track down layout problems, but it's really hard to see. There's no highlighting of potential errors. There's no there's no there was no visualization of of what is really going on there. It's just hard to understand. And so the idea of the you know having some representation and highlighting errors is one we've had for a while. Uh, but we we actually had a very talented intern. Name was Albert, and he um, he came on board, and he immediately started diving in. And we had um, uh, some user uh, experience design help, Um, but uh, he kind of—I mean—at Google we don't we don't put um, interns on kind of the you know the grunt work. We always like to give interns the the you know coolest possible work we can give them and still have them be successful because we only have them for a very limited amount of time, right? Generally three months. And so we like to have them have a kind of a self-contained uh, project where they can be successful in a small amount of time, but also as much, you know, as much impact uh, as they can have. And and then the, the, the culmination of their, you know, time is always the demo of their feature. Oh, this is cool. Um, and in this particular case, the culmination of Albert's time here at Google was the demonstration, but not by Albert, but by uh, Zoe and by me during our keynote at Flutter Interact. And so that's kind of a very cool thing. And that the reason this was possible was because Albert had all kinds of Flutter experience when he came from uh, to the team, to the developer experience team on Flutter, and he was able to hit the ground running, and he started immediately... Um, you know, building things out and trying prototypes. And he was super good at taking feedback and making quick changes. And he worked late hours and he was just dedicated and happy and he was a joy to work with. And the thing he came up with, you know, it, I think is the, the best yet of how to visualize kind of the way your layout uh, is and what potential problems there might be. And not only that, but he made it interactive, so you can actually change it on the fly to see, oh, what if, what if I, you know, change this constraint here, or what if I change the alignment, or what if I change the flex property? Um, what, you know, what does that do to my layout? Um, and I think uh, Hillel, you said um, before when we were talking that this is a tool, you know, that you think you would you would use as a developer. What, what makes it attractive to you as a developer? That's an
0: amazing story. That's really cool. Give that intern a job. I think he deserves it.
1: I think so too, absolutely.
0: So for me myself, I've just seen that error too many times, particularly the overflow error. It's Flutter making sure you're doing the right thing and it understands what your intentions are. But particularly with rows and columns, very often just forgetting to add the expanded inside a row or column will kind of trigger that error. Or not adding a shrink wrap in a list. So again, it just right when I saw that, it's to remind me of all the times I've seen that error and it'd be great to have a visual way of kind of tracking that down. I think that'd be excellent, uh, incredibly useful.
1: I mean that that is a clear case where flutter was doing an excellent job of telling you there is something wrong but not telling you what was wrong or even more importantly how to fix it right and so I don't know about you but I would go and just start adding expanded or start you know what poking at my code until you know the the error went away and you know hopefully that was the right cause the idea of the land explorer is can actually poke at it and figure out what's actually causing it in a, even a, a faster way so that by the time I go back to my code, I actually know what the problem is and I've learned something and, you know, I can update my code with confidence. That's that's what about that about that code. Absolutely.
0: I'll say one thing I've noticed is with Flutter Web in general, the ease of being able to resize the app, which for a long time, just testing the emulator you don't have, so being right. able to kind of just test it out, see what happens if I make the browser narrower and it exposes overflow issues you wouldn't necessarily see in your particular emulator, but users with smaller phones might see.
1: That's totally true. I find one of the things that I really love about, you know, the Mac uh, support moving to Alpha is when I do my code, I almost always do it uh, on the desktop because there's no emulator needed, right? You just get to run it directly on the hardware, right? And you get all the size things. And, you know, I find it to be, um, even if I'm not targeting uh, mac os with whatever code i'm writing a, a, a wonderful way to actually do the development
0: that's a great point absolutely cool and was there anything else you'd like to add
1: well the the one final topic um, i've actually had uh surprisingly many people reach out to me and go gosh i want to i want to build my own flutter octopus um i don't know if you remember that part of the keynote yes very very well I was. I'm curious, actually, what your reaction was because you know we announced a pretty amazing feature, which is, hey, you can use the multi-device, or sorry, multi-session debugging support that's built into Visual Studio Code, and and we allow you to do that across any number of devices, and you get to pick. Right. It sounds amazing. I'll tell
0: you, the truth is, in my daily workflow, I just have the emulator up on the screen, and it's rare I even use a physical device. But that said, I do sometimes use physical devices and to be able to run more than one at once makes a ton of sense.
1: It's not limited to physical devices. You can do the same thing with emulators.
0: Very cool. That's great.
1: And in fact, the screenshot we showed, the idea is that you can do, you know, the thing we announced, hey, you can do both Android and iOS simultaneously, which is, you know, a thing we get people asking us uh, to do all the time. Um, But then we decided, you know, to push it as far as we could, which just looks cooler when it's physical devices, but you can do it with with virtual devices as well. And the idea um, uh, was, could we do it across all the different kinds of things? And we did it for everything that you can attach and run from a Mac, right? Um, And so that was pretty fun. But when people, if people wanna go and build such a device, you know, um, one, one computer that drives multiple devices for debugging simultaneously. Uh, the caution I will give you is that the hardware really, really matters. Um, I went through multiple sets of cables, finding good cables. I went through multiple um, USB hubs, finding reliable connections um, uh, to be able to do all that simultaneously. So, it, and if you don't, what happens is you know either the the device won't start on the debugger and it'll just disappear or it will you know it'll debug for a while and then it will disappear um, and so you know pay attention to the hardware if you actually want to set up something like this yourself
0: cool that's good advice i say one one compliment i've give to flutter is i've learned i've been trained by the framework to give such little worry to ensuring that what I build or test on my Android emulator will will look and function exactly the same way on iOS. I think early on in my development, I go back and forth regularly and make sure everything looks correct. But I've just seen consistently that no matter what I get working on Android, it will work on iOS. Assuming we're not talking about native code or native plugins, but just the general Flutter code. And so I'm at the point now with the app I'm working on is I'm in the Android emulator 98% of the time. And it's really just right before release. I just do a quick check on the iOS app. Um, but certainly I think for a pixel perfect layout, having them both up the screen at the same time will, will be great, and really helpful.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I, I'm glad, I'm very glad to hear that you have a high degree of confidence that if it looks great on Android, it'll look great on um, iOS. One of the other big use cases for this is as people start to build apps that are responsive, right? What does it look like on mobile? But I also want it to look good you know, on a desktop form factor, whether that's, you know, Mac OS or Windows or the web or whatever, right? And so being able to, you know, make changes to both mobile and desktop form factor apps and see how those changes are going to look simultaneously, right? So if you've fixed something that was a problem in mobile, you haven't broken you know, the desktop size version of the app or vice versa.
0: Yes, that's an excellent point. And TV and watch, right? You're talking about massive screen sizes and very small screen sizes, but absolutely. And that's a use case very dear to my heart. I'm currently working on taking our mobile app, make it support tablet and web. And that's exactly what I'm, what I'm facing is making sure that as I fix or add a feature in the, in the tablet or web layout, don't have any regressions in the mobile layout.
1: Sure, and the, and the beauty of being able to have full debug sessions with hot reload and et cetera, across multiple devices that you can also do multiple form factors and test that without having to shut it down and start it up and right. You get the benefits of hot reload across multiple devices. simultaneously.
0: Amazing. That's really cool. Again, Chris, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else you'd like to like to leave us with any links or, or other notes?
1: Uh, I definitely, um, I continue um, to uh, recommend flutter.dev um, the developer relations and documentation team on, uh, on flutter are second to none um, most of these features that i mentioned are already part of our documentation and th- they do such a great job um, i recommend flutter.dev slash web if you want to get started on web flutter.dev desktop if you want to get started on desktop there's new documentation for add to app um, there's just it's just a, a fantastic um, uh, a way to really understand the platform is really to to pick up our our documentation and, and our samples and the youtube channel and they do such a good job
0: 100% agreed i'll have to add you know i think one challenge i face is i became very familiar with the docs when i started a year and a half ago and they've improved so much there's so many pages i come back to and they're just totally rewritten and i think the key point is to kind of come back and, and recheck the docs just because they're
1: improving rapidly yeah that's my experience as well an amazing team
0: All right. On that note, Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Again, we really appreciate your time. Hopefully if you have more time in the future, it'd be great to get future updates as things progress. There are many topics to talk about. I'm sure like many are excited for IO and see what comes next. And also using all these new great features.
1: Okay, great. My pleasure.